Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nicole and Ruth, for leading us, and thank all of you for joining in, even those of you from your homes tonight that joined us in such a great time of worship. Genesis 46 tonight, as we continue, five more weeks in Genesis, and then we move into Exodus. By the way, this Sunday, as we've been mentioning for the last couple of weeks, this Sunday is the Lord's Table. And if you would be able to help Teresa Lindquist with passing out the elements in either or both services on Sunday, would you please see her right over here, Teresa? You know who she is? Right there. She's the gal that takes care of our communion so, so well uh, around here and her team but she's uh, in need of a few more helpers. And plus, if you've been here the last couple Sundays especially, we're growing. Some of you are getting your seats taken. <laughs> we, uh, we are growing big time. There's, uh, and it's not just a few. It's, it's like groups of new people coming at 9 and, and 11 o'clock on Sundays. And once we get all of our people back, from summer, I have a feeling our two services are going to be nice and full, and I'm looking forward to that. Genesis 46 tonight, we're talking primarily here about the journey of Jacob down to Egypt to see his long-lost son, Joseph, that he thought was dead. And again, I want to remind us that God here in this story of Joseph is doing so many things. I mean, obviously, he's feeding millions of people through the wisdom that he's given Joseph of how to handle this famine. He's healing hearts like Joseph's. He's transforming hearts like Joseph's brothers. But he's also wanting his people, who are very few at this point, to be in Egypt. That's the place he has for them. And so he's drawing them down to Egypt at this time in their history. And we see that happening here, the flow of Jacob or Israel, as God now calls him, down to Egypt. And that is where God's people will spend the next 500 years. Think about that. So notice chapter 46, verse 1. I think if you had to, say, title this chapter, I would just title it Israel in Egypt. <laughs> Figuratively and literally, Israel in Egypt. So Israel, or Jacob, began his journey taking with him all that he had. This is a journey. Joseph has been on a journey. Jacob is on a journey. You and I are on a journey. We are hopefully moving with God. And Jacob, this is a journey of faith. He is very old. This is going to be an arduous journey. It's going to take months to get from Canaan to Egypt. He's got his whole family with him. This is no small feat here, especially at his age. And so it is a response in faith 
to God's leading to go down to Egypt. And obviously, he wants to go. If this is true, that his son, Joseph, is still alive, he wants to see him and put his eyes on him before he dies and goes to be with the Lord. I just want to remind us we are all on a journey. And we need to make sure that as we are on this journey, we are moving to the moving of God. That we are moving as God is moving us. Okay? And right now, that's what Jacob is doing. Notice also, in this journey, he is taking everything with him. All that he had. He wasn't going back to Canaan. He was all in. You know, there's that verse where Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. God doesn't want us looking back. God wants us moving forward and putting everything in to moving forward, not looking back, not living in the past, whatever, but even like Paul, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Everything that he had. And God wants us not only to move with him, but he wants us to be all in with him as we move with him. Not holding back anything, but all in. Jacob was here, and he, would, he brought everything with him. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Beersheba, remember, is this very sacred space that goes all the way back to his grandfather, Abraham. It was this well in the desert, in the wilderness, an oasis that became very special and very sacred to the people of God through the Old Testament. It is a very significant spot. Abraham established a place not only to be refreshed through the well, but it was now and forever to be a place of worship that any time the people of God passed through Beersheba, they would pause to worship and to offer sacrifices to their God. You and I need Beershebas in our life. Whether that is a certain place to where we feel connected to God, a certain time of the day we feel connected to God, whether it's some worship songs that we just always sort of go back to because we just seem like those are the songs that always speak to us and stir us, whether it's passages of Scripture that seem to always just, again, can we connect with or whatever, a favorite book of the Bible, uh, you know, whatever it is, it, I don't want to put it in a box, but we all need those Beershebas. Hopefully, hopefully, this place is a Beersheba. 
that this place on Wednesdays and Sundays and other days of the week where you and others come to assemble here and and worship God in your way, that this has become a sacred space, a place where you feel you are connecting with God. I hope all local churches would be that for their people because that's what it's supposed to be. But we all need Beersheba's in our life. Those places we go to and we just sense God with us there and where we connect to him. Now, the sobering thing, again, and I already mentioned this, is after Jacob leaves Beersheba, it will be 500 years until God's people worship here again. 500 years. God certainly has the long view in mind, doesn't he, when he's moving. Then again, notice verse 2. What does God do? He responds to the worship of Jacob. And he, he, God is very obviously purposeful and strategic too in, in the way he responds and when he responds and all that. He knows that this is a big deal for Jacob, that this, this journey is no small feat, and that he's leaving everything that he's ever known in his life behind at a very old age, which is even more of a challenge, because as we get older, usually our world starts to shrink a little bit instead of expanding. Well, Jacob's life is going to be just the opposite. It's like he goes on a world tour at the end of his life rather than somewhere earlier in his life. And he's going to an unknown place. He's never been to Egypt. He has no idea what it's like. The only thing he knows about Egypt is the few things his sons have told him from their little bit of interaction while they've been there to get grain and bring back to the family. So God is so sensitive to our hearts, to our minds, to our fears, to to knowing we need reassurance and exactly when we need reassurance and when we need comfort and all of that. And so God speaks to Israel in a vision during the night. By the way, the word for God in verse 2 is Elohim. We'll talk more about that in a moment but he is revealing himself as he speaks to Jacob. And in verses 2, 3, and 4, God gives Jacob six things that he is speaking into his life to encourage him as he sets out to go to Egypt. I want to concentrate on these six things tonight because we can apply the same things that God said to Jacob in many ways to our own journey with God. Because we're all supposed to be on that journey. We're all supposed to be moving with God. So we're all in some ways on our walk with God. And no matter where we are on that walk, we still need to hear the words that Elohim spoke to Jacob at this point in Jacob's journey. First, I want you to note in verse 2, 
that God knows us by name. Notice the God of the universe comes to him and says twice, Jacob, Jacob. I don't know about you, but I hope I never get over the fact that the God who is wholly other, that is incomprehensible, that lives in immortality and, and you know, light, that, that that God who's created the universe, he knows us intimately and by name. Every last one of us that he's ever made. And notice Jacob's reply. He replied, here I am. As I've shared before, our greatest ability is our availability. Jacob is simply saying, here I am, God. I make myself available to you. Because we know that everything, again, that God calls us to do, he will also enable us and equip us to do. All we have to do is have the faith to make ourselves available to the God who created the universe and yet also created us and knows us by name. And now begins the six encouragements that God gives to Jacob at this point. Elohim says, I am God, the God of your father. God is reminding him of who he is by his name. I am Elohim, the Almighty, your strength. And then he adds, I am also the God of your father, the God who kept my promises I made to your father Isaac and even to your grandfather Abraham. And if I can be trusted, then I'm not only your strength, I am your security and I am your stability. I'm the same God that you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for my faithfulness to your grandfather Abraham, to me keeping all my promises to him, and my faithfulness in keeping all my promises to your father. Not only reminds him that I am the almighty God who has all power and all strength and I can be your strength for this journey, but I am also going to be your security and your stability as you journey. And God is saying the same thing to us tonight. He's reminding us who he is. I am God. I'm the God of your ancestors. I'm the God who was faithful to them and I am the God then who is faithful to you. You can trust me. I can be your security and stability, and I will be your strength. God is saying, don't make this journey, Jacob, in your own strength. <laughs> You're old. You don't have the strength for this journey, but I'll give you the strength. And God may be saying the same thing to us tonight. Stop trying to do this journey in your own strength. Let me be your strength. Let me be your security and stability. So that's the first encouragement. Second encouragement, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. He's simply saying to, to Jacob to reassure him, this is my plan. 
In a sense, God is giving him his permission and his peace to keep moving in that direction. And God does the same thing with us. He will reassure us and say, yep, Jeff, keep, keep going. You're, you're headed in the right direction. Keep, keep going, <laughs> you know. Keep moving in that way because he will surround us not only with, with us knowing, okay, he's, he's permitting me to go this way. He's opening the doors, but then there's that peace of God that passes all understanding. As Paul puts it to the Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Over the years, I've had so many Christians ask me the question, Pastor, how do you know if something specific is the will of God for your life? And I always go back to Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule. It literally means to umpire or to arbitrate. If you have a peace from God, then that is God's permission to say, yep, keep going, keep, keep moving, you're, you're going right. But if God is not giving you that peace, then it's either, nope, you're not going in the right direction, or maybe it's a timing issue. Yeah, but that's for later, it's not for now. Now I want you to, to stay, okay? But God will always give us his peace, if you will, of permission as we're moving on this journey with him. Second encouragement. Third, for I will make you into a great nation, and then notice the key word at the end of verse 3, there. God's purposes for his people will be accomplished there. Not in Beersheba, not in Canaan, God's purposes for his people will be accomplished in Egypt during this season. God wants us, as we move through life on our journey with him, to make sure that we are in the place where he wants to accomplish his purposes in that season in our life or with the people that God wants us to be with accomplishing his purposes in that season of life. He's saying, I want you there. That's where I'm working with you right now. I want you there. That's why I tell people when it comes to even what local church you're a part of, I, all I say is, Look, I'd love to have you here, but make sure that whatever local church you're a part of, that's the local church God wants you to be. He wants you to be there. Because if he wants you there, then that's where he will accomplish his purposes, there. God has a place for all of us in his plan and through our journey in life because God has specific purposes in mind and even people that he wants us to do life and ministry with that, that he is going to surround us with in certain places. So he's saying to Jacob, Jacob, keep moving because my purposes for you and your people are there. And God will have that same leading and guiding and directing in our lives as well. Make sure that we are where God wants us to accomplish his purposes. Because if we're not in the place 
where God wants to accomplish his purposes. We're the ones that's going to miss out because we're not in the there place. Fourth encouragement, verse 4. I will go down with you to Egypt. Our greatest comfort, our greatest reassurance is God himself, his personal presence. God is saying to Jacob and reminding him, oh, and you're not going alone. I'm going with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. I will be your faithful and constant companion. You're not doing this alone, Jacob. I'm right there with you. And again, there is no greater encouragement than that. You probably heard me say this before many times, but using us as an example, Nicole and I would never do this on Wednesday and Sunday unless we knew God was up here with us. And you probably feel the same way in your life in ministry. You're, you're not going to do what you're doing unless you know God's with you, that his presence is with you, and he's right there with you. That's the assurance that he's giving to Jacob. He's already given him his permission. He's already now telling him, that's the place where I'm going to accomplish my purposes. Don't forget, I'm your strength, I'm your security, I'm your stability. And then notice what he says. The fifth encouragement and I will certainly bring you back from there. A couple things in that statement. First of all, let's talk about this. Jacob will not ever leave Egypt. He will die there. But like throughout the Bible, many times, certain people stand as the federal head, if you will, for the rest. So God is simply saying to Jacob, he's the representative of the people of Israel, the people of God. And what God is saying to him is, oh, I'm not going to be done with you in Egypt. I got more for you after Egypt. There's always more that God has for us. And that's the part I want us to apply to our life, okay? Not that so much we represent others, but that even if God says, this is where I have for you now, that's not the end. God always wants us to keep moving, keep growing, keep increasing, keep progressing. And so, in a sense, once we get to our Egypt, if you will, on our journey, whatever that is, God's going to have something after that for us on our journey. There's always more with God. God never wants his people to get to a place where we just sit down and say, that's enough, I'm done my journey, God. I don't want to move any further. God always wants us to keep moving with him all the way until the end. And he's giving Jacob, too, some great hope here, right? He's saying, yeah, eventually your people, your ancestors are going to be enslaved in Egypt. Oh, but the best is yet to come, Jacob. I've got wonderful plans and purposes for your people. And that's not what's going to define them as their years in Egypt. No, I've got something much better. And that's the hope then that Jacob could carry into Egypt even as he entered there 
at a very old age. And then one final encouragement. His precious son, maybe his, the person on earth that was more precious to him than anyone else that he has not seen for over 20 years, God is telling him, your son Joseph is going to be the last face you see before you see my face in eternity. Notice what he says. Joseph will close your eyes. Joseph's face will be the face over your face as you take your dying breath. The one you wanted to see, you're going to see again. In fact, I'm going to arrange that you're going to get to see his face even right before you see my face. You ever think about that? Whose face you may see before you see the face of God? For Jacob, he's going to see Joseph's face. Six encouragements from God. All a response to Jacob not only worshiping, but God understanding the need that Jacob had at that moment in his life. Jacob needed encouragement. He needed to be comforted. He needed reassurance. And God was right there. And that's the kind of God we have in our life. He's a God that knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And he will be there for us. Because he's that kind of God. He's a good God. And he will come just at the right time with just the appropriate and right amount of encouragement for us so that we keep moving on our journey with him. So verse 5. Then Jacob started out from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little children, their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent along to transport him. Jacob and all his descendants took their livestock, the possessions they acquired in the land of Canaan, Canaan and they went to Egypt. Before I move on, I want to go back up to the words started out in verse 5. It means to move literally in the Hebrew, but it also means something else, very important. It means to rise. Now, literally, Jacob was going down in topography to Egypt. Egypt was lower in elevation than where he was traveling from. But from God's perspective, Jacob was rising. Why? Because he was responding to God in faith. And you and I rise in our life when we respond to God and we move to the moving of God in faith. Remember that. Verse 7. He brought with him to Egypt his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters, all his descendants. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt... Jacob and his sons. I want to point this out. The phrase sons of Israel will begin to designate and describe the people of God now for the rest of the Old Testament. You see, sons of Israel, you will see throughout the Old Testament. It is simply a phrase that is used to say, these are the people of God, the sons of Israel. And they're all listed there. Okay, Now, obviously, I'm not going to go down through all these names, but I want to say a couple things. One, usually when we get to long lists of names like this or genealogies in the Bible, again, that's not our favorite part of Scripture. 
But let's be reminded of something. If your name was in that list or my name was in that list, it'd be the best part of the Bible ever. We'd be like, what's your favorite verse? The verse that my name's in? That's my favorite verse. My name's in there. That's pretty cool, right? So we all know that for these people, this is significant. God literally is listing every last name of Jacob's descendants. And I got to say this, too. If you got a chance to read this, chapter, there's some names here, right? Look at verse 17. Here's some good Jewish names, right? Ishva and Ishvi. I mean, if that's not good Jewish names, I, I, I don't know what is. And then I love these names. Dear Benjamin and his wife, what were they thinking? Look at verse 21. Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. All I can say is parents of the Oasis, you're not, you're, you know, where, where's these really imaginative names of naming your children? I'm like, who names their sons and daughters Mupim, Hupim, and Ard, you know? Anyway, dear Benjamin, yeah. So anyway, all these names. But then you'll notice you come down to verse 26 and 27. All the direct descendants of Jacob who went to Egypt with him were 66 in number. This number, though, does not include the wives of Jacob's sons. So counting the two sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt, all the people of the household of Jacob who were in Egypt numbered 70 people. 70. Now think about that for a moment. God says, Egypt is the place where I'm going to accomplish my purposes for my people over the next millennia, you know, many, many hundreds of years, right? And they enter with just 70 people. So God is showing here, I don't need a lot of people to start something, to, to, to build it into something great, right? God, God can take, start out with something small and make it big. I want to point that out with our lives too. Look, you don't have to, you don't have to start out big. You start out something small with God and let God begin to build it and increase it through you, and you'll just never dream about what God can do. But God usually doesn't like to start big. He likes to start small and then work big out of it. And the crazy thing is, once you get to the book of Exodus, the book we're going to be studying after this book, and you read in the book of Exodus how many people of God came out of Egypt with Moses, when they finally were released from bondage, it is over 2 million people. So think about it. They go into Egypt with 70. They come out of Egypt with over 2 million. And you know what that also tells us? God was doing a great work where? In Egypt with his people. See, there would be people today that would say, oh, God can't do anything there. Or God needs certain conditions. Good, No, God can do a great work anywhere with anyone at any time because he's God. And God is showing his people, let me show you what I can do because the first 100 years that they were in Egypt actually was pretty good. 
the leadership of Israel still knew Joseph and they were friendly towards the Israelites. It was only after many years went by to where Joseph had been gone for so long that he had no influence anymore in Egypt and his shadow was no longer cast over Egypt to where Pharaoh began to feel threatened by all of these Israelites and then Pharaoh began to turn against the people of God and he sought to enslave them in order to control them. Again, God says, do not despise small things. God is a God who takes very small things and can bring something great. I mean, think again of the Lord's miracle of feeding the thousands of people. Does Jesus start out with a smorgasbord? No. He starts out with five loaves and two fish, and he feeds thousands. God is saying, I I just need a little, and I I can build something out of the little. And you see that here in the story of the people of God. Seventy go in, two million come out of Egypt. And here's one of the reasons why. Again, you and I, in our human way of, you know, trying to figure things out, we would go, that, to me, that wouldn't be the best place for God to put his people and work with them. It was absolutely the perfect place for God to work with his people at this time. And here's why. Because Egypt was the ruler of the world at this time. And Egypt provided protection and provision for the people of God. It's like God couldn't have put them in a better place to start out with than Egypt. And then we read this, and we'll end here in just a moment. Verse 28. We have this beautiful reunion now between Jacob and Joseph. And you can only imagine the emotion and the affection that was going on here when Jacob finally put his eyes on Joseph. Jacob sent Judah before him to Joseph to accompany him to Goshen. They came to the land of Goshen, and Joseph harnessed his chariot and went up to meet his father Israel in Goshen. And when he met him, he hugged his neck and wept on his neck for quite some time. What a reunion. We're going to have reunions someday. When we get to glory, we're going to be reunited with those that have went on before us. And there's going to be some precious reunions that take place in glory then israel said to joseph now let me die since i've seen your face and know that you are still alive doesn't that remind you of the the old uh guy in the gospels who you know holds the baby jesus and says, okay i can die now i I've, I've seen the messiah you know that that was jacob it's like it's all good god you can take me home now jacob's gonna last another 17 years he doesn't know that but for Jacob, it's like, I, I'm good, God. You, you can take me home now, right? And then Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, verse 31, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They take care of livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Pharaoh will summon you and say, what is your occupation? Tell him. Your servants have taken care of cattle from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, so that you may live in the land of Goshen. For everyone who takes care of sheep is what? Disgusting to the Egyptians. Like, ooh, we don't want anything to do with you. 
Now again, God is in the details. Why is that important? Goshen was a district in Egypt that was under Egypt's protection and that Egypt provided for them while they lived in Goshen. But here's the great thing about it. Because the people of God at this time were primarily farmers and herdsmen and cattle people and took care of the animals and stuff, the Egyptians wanted nothing to do with that. So what that meant was the Egyptians would leave the Israelites alone. And they could do their own thing. And it also meant then that the Israelites would not be integrated into the culture and especially the religion of the Egyptians. They would be left to be able to worship Yahweh and not have to worry about the Egyptians trying to impose their polytheism upon them at this point because they don't want to get near these people over there. They're, they're, they work with animals over there, you know. We'll leave them alone. So God brought them into Egypt at this perfect time, being perfectly provided for, perfectly protected, and in a sense, sort of isolated so that they could start growing and multiplying and increasing and all of that, and so that they could start worshiping their God without any interference from the Egyptians at this point. Think God has the best plans? I, I loved what Nicole was praying there at the end of her prayer about, God, may we realize your way is always the best way. That, that's, what the, that's what the story of Jacob is telling us right here. This is the place, God says, where my purposes for my people will be fulfilled. You go there and you trust me. And God is saying the same thing to all of us today on our journey. He's saying, follow me. Move to my moving. I'm God. I'll be your strength and I'll be your security and stability. I will go with you. I will give you my peace as you go to make sure that you are reassured on your journey. I'll take you there because that's where I want to, you to be right now to accomplish my purposes. But that's not the end. I've always got more for you. Always. And so the same reassurances and encouragements and comfort that Elohim gave to Jacob, you and I can apply to our own life and our own journey today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that these stories are recorded for us in your word. Because, Lord, they're still so relevant, so applicable to us, Lord, on our journey with you. And I pray tonight, God, that we would be reminded that, God, you know exactly what we need when we need it. You're going to be there for us. You're going to give us your reassurances and your comfort and your encouragement, Lord, at just the right time. And God, help us to remember to always take the time and make the time in our life, as busy as it is, to pause and put you in your rightful place, to have our Beershebas in our life, our times where we pause to worship you, knowing, God, that you always respond to your people when we worship. 
You always reveal something of yourself to us in our worship of you, and you're always there to reassure us and reaffirm us, Lord, as we worship you as your people. God, may tonight's story and our worship tonight and the songs that we have sung and the words that we have sung, God, be such an encouragement that it carries us through until we meet back here again on Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here tonight. God bless. We'll see you next week.